0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. I see a lot of kids here. Do any of you guys know what what is tomorrow? Tomorrow's Monday. Yeah. That's right. It's Christmas. Now, for some of us, we kind of are aware of Christmas coming from a long way off. Do, have some of you kids been waiting and hoping for Christmas for a long time this year? Yeah? What are some of the things that tell you that Christmas is coming soon? Presents? You start to see the appearance of presents, yeah? What else? What's that? Music, yep, yep. Music, we start to hear Mariah Carey in the stores. <clears throat> Christmas music, yeah. Christmas c- trees, Christmas trees, yeah, Christmas trees. The weather changes, there's Christmas trees, Christmas cookies. Things start to happen that give us a sense from a long way off that Christmas is coming and yet it's not here yet. And so there's the painful waiting that has to happen. Well, there are many instances in life where we have to wait for things to come. We see something coming from a long way off, and we have to wait for it to come. Uh, In our nation, we all know that the elections are coming up soon, right? Now maybe that's not quite so positive a thing as Christmas. Uh, but there are signs that it's coming from a long way off all over the place. Movies do this as well. A lot of the drama of movies is that there's maybe a monster coming, a dinosaur. You can hear the ground shaking as he approaches, you know. Uh, kids, the, you might think of the school year coming from a long way off. Either the the end of the school year coming as the weather changes, or as the weather changes again, the start of the the new school year. Well, all throughout the Bible, we are told that, and that the whole sweep of human history is about the coming of the King, like the sound of drums that grows stronger and stronger as an army approaches. And as the army marches closer and closer, we can see in the pages of Scripture that the king is coming. He's coming. And where do we see this coming king? So, all the way back in, in the book of, uh, of, of Exodus, the people are in bondage in the nation of Egypt, and God promises to deliver them. He sends them Moses. Moses. And he delivers them out of slavery. And he promises to establish them in their own place. But before they had even arrived there, in Deuteronomy 17, he promises to give them a king. He says, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses." One from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. The people of Israel wanted to be free. They wanted to have their own place. And they wanted to have their own king, their own countrymen, to rule over them. Now, who were the first three kings of Israel? Any of you kids? Who were the first three kings? First one was Saul, yeah? And then number two? David. Okay. And then number three was who? Solomon. Solomon. All right. Very good. Very different kings, right? Very different. David was the best of the three, I guess you could say, but they were all guilty of terrible sins and failures, right? And at one time or another, they all acted very selfishly and took advantage of the people rather than serving the people. Some did better than others, but all of them were not perfect. None of them were perfect. But God had promised a different kind of king. One to rule over an everlasting kingdom who would not act selfishly like you or, you or me. In Isaiah 9, it says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then in Jeremiah uh, 23, rather. It says this, "...Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord, "...when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness." This is a different kind of king than those first three kings. This is a righteous and good king. But this king would not rule only over the nation of Israel. This king would rule all the nations. In Psalm 2, it says this, "'But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance.'" And the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that He not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed! are all who take refuge in Him. God promised a king who would establish His throne with justice and righteousness forever. It would be an everlasting kingdom over all the nations. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of this king. It's no surprise to you, but it was surprising at the time, right? Right? The birth of this king was very surprising because it was his arrival, it was surprising for a number of reasons. His arrival was unlike the kings of this world. Although he was and is the king of kings, his birth was humble and lowly. He wasn't born in a palace, he was born in a stable with animals. His parents didn't live in a palace. His parents were poor, they had been uprooted. And so. It's, a, it's amazing because He was born in such a humble circumstances. It's also astonishing because He is the God-Man. Jesus is God with us. This is not something that the, the Jews, the Israelites, were expecting. They, they weren't expecting it, or at least not most of them. Jesus is God with us. He is very God, and yet He is one of us. He has come near to us as it referenced all the way back in Deuteronomy, God Himself has become one of our countrymen. So many in Israel were expecting a king, but they weren't expecting Him to be so humble and lowly. Many in Israel were expecting a king, but they weren't expecting Him to be the very Son of God. Now, kids, uh, you have to interact with adults a lot. I know, it's tough right? It's tough. Um, and there are some adults that pay no attention to children unless maybe they're kind of irritated or annoyed at them, right? And you kids kind of know who those, those adults are. Um, it's like you're not even there unless you make some noise and then you, uh, you're told to be quiet, <laughs> right? This is, this is the life of a child. I was a child once. I have some idea of what it's like to be a kid. But there are other adults, there are some adults, who notice you. They look you in the face and they talk with you. They aren't irritated. They don't take you for granted. They listen carefully to what you say and then they respond like you're a real person, like what you said actually matters. You feel like they really see you and really care. And Jesus is this kind of adult. He is this kind of... Of king. Jesus demonstrated in his earthly ministry that he cared about people that no one else noticed or no one else cared about. He cared about beggars, he cared about blind men, he cared about the woman at the well, he cared about the woman who touched his robe and was healed. He cared about even Zacchaeus, who climbed up in a tree to see him. (laughs) And he cared about the children. Right? He said, Don't. The the disciples were trying to tell the kids to get away because he had more important things to do. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Did you know that the kingdom belongs to such as you, kids? The kingdom belongs to you. You may feel small and insignificant. You may wonder if Jesus even sees or cares about you. But by His birth and His life and His ministry, Jesus teaches us that He does care about us. He cares about you. The King of kings who created the whole world and everything in it cares about us. He cares about you. Now, so, so Christ, the, the, Jesus the King has come and He's drawn near to us. But He's still a king, Right? Jesus isn't a buddy. Now, you, you know, we all have a friend, or we've all had a friend that we could go be silly with and act kind of foolishly with. Uh, you know, maybe we're just being silly. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus coming near to us. He is still a king, after all. And his whole ministry can be seen as his work to establish his authority. His kingship. His supremacy over everyone and everything. So His arrival, even though it was low, right? And and though He was born to poor parents in a very humble circumstance, He's heralded as a king. His coming is announced in the stars and by angels singing His praises. Kings of, of the East travel a long way to come welcome Him. And they give Him gifts fit for a king. His kingdom, he said, was not of this world, but earthly rulers are threatened by him. Herod saw him as a threat, and so he wanted to know where to find him so that he could kill him and get rid of that threat. Herod had a sense of something that was very true, and that was that Jesus carried authority and power. He wasn't it's very easy for us to look on the outward appearance and to dismiss those who look lowly to us. And this is what easily could have been done to Jesus and was done to Jesus. But Jesus came with power and authority. He declared when he began his teaching ministry that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, you could touch it, it's right there. He forgave sins and performed miracles. He taught people how to pray and how to understand the Scriptures. So Jesus you know, didn't just sort of slouch in. He came with power and authority. When He entered Jerusalem before His crucifixion, the people shouted, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest.'" And of course, they were right. Right? The religious leaders at the time were trying to tell them to be quiet. Please, be quiet. But they were right, and Jesus said, if they don't say this, the stones will cry out and declare what is true. But it was not until He had accomplished His mission on earth that He ascended ultimately to His throne. He was crucified on our behalf, on the be- behalf of the people, and then God raised Him from the dead And after his resurrection, he declared that all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. And then he ascended into heaven. More than 500 years earlier, Daniel had a vision of Jesus ascending into heaven and recorded it like this from Daniel 7. I kept looking in the night night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus is not going to, some, to reign in some future time. Jesus is the King right now right now now kids have you ever wanted to live in a kingdom with a king well guess what whether you want to or not you're in it you're in it you don't get a choice there are many that don't there are many in this world who don't pay any mind to jesus but that doesn't make it any less true it doesn't make it any less true and he is the king Now, why do we need a king? Why do we need a king? The book of Judges, uh, way back in the Old Testament, this is before they had a king. It records the time when the people of Israel had arrived in the promised land, but they had not yet received a king. And the last verse of the book of Judges is very scary and sobering. uh, It says this, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, kids, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's bad. It's bad. It is the worst kind of bondage. We have a, uh, I keep thinking of the phrase that sometimes we use today. Sometimes I use it. You do you, I'll do me, right? This is like our motto these days in America. Good Americans, you do you, I'll do me. Well, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes is the worst kind of bondage. There's no order. There's no peace. There's no cooperation or progress. So why do we need a king? Well, first and foremost, we need a king to subdue and rule our stubborn and unruly hearts. A king carries authority that makes us very uncomfortable because we want to do whatever we want to do. But when a king arrives, it means that we need to be more concerned about what he thinks than about what we want to do. Do you remember what Herod did when he heard that there was another king? He committed one of the worst... Crimes in history that will be remembered for all of history. He killed all the male babies, all the innocent babies in the area of Bethlehem from the age of two and down. He was so jealous for his power and afraid that someone would come and take it from him that he would, was willing to do one of the worst commit one of the worst crimes in history. That's what Herod did, but we're exactly the same way. We're exactly the same way. Our hearts are stubborn and hard. We don't want anyone else to rule over us. And we are willing to kill to get what we want. We're willing to disregard God's law to get what we want. Now we all know Christmas time comes and we're supposed to be better than that, right? But it sure does come out of us, doesn't it? Our selfishness and our anger. We're jealous when others get ahead. And we feel bitter when we... Uh, uh, feel overlooked or unappreciated. Isn't it a relief when our king comes and says, no, you may not. We need our king to humble our proud hearts. We need him to give us his law. We need him to rule over us. We also need our king to, to lead us. You and I really are dumb sheep. We really are. And we are so easily confused or bewildered. Kids, sometimes you can feel confused. You don't know what's going on. And the truth is, adults are just the same way. We're just the same way. We're much better at pretending, right? At least as far as that goes. Um, We're easily confused and bewildered, and we need our King to show us the way. But Jesus isn't here right now, so how does He show us the way? Do any of you kids know? How does Jesus lead us if He's not here physically present with us? How does He do that? The Bible? That's right. That's number one. Absolutely. He's given us His Word. And so kids, if you want to love your King, read read the Bible. Study it. Cherish it. Store it up in your heart. We must read His Word. It is our King's orders to us. So steady His his Word. He also leads us with His church. Right? Uh, We must love His church. We must submit ourselves to His church. We cannot live without her. We need each other. We need pastors and elders. We need deacons. We need each other in the church to help us follow our King. But also, we need our King to love us. We need our King to love us. For I am convinced, this is Romans 8, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't live without the love of God. We may live outwardly. Lots of people do that, right? But inside our hearts will shrivel up and die. We may even be successful as the world sees it. We may have lots of money or fame or power. There are many men who have come and gone and had all those things. But it's all empty without the love and the grace of God. We need our King to love us, we need to live. And in that love, we can't exist without it. <clears throat> As I was preparing this sermon, there's just this paradox that I kept bumping up against. All these things are true about our King who has come and is our King today, but He's not here right now. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we follow Him? How do we, what, how do we live if our King is not physically present with us? When Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked him if he was a king, and Jesus replied that he was, but his kingdom was not of this world. What does that mean? What does it mean to live in the world where our king has ascended to heaven? Well, the truth is, we can actually relate to this pretty well. Uh, And Jesus told stories about this. Uh, What's it like, kids, kids, When your parents leave the house and put your older brother or sister in charge, do you like that? It's it's challenging, right? Are your. uh, Jesus told many stories about that as well. He told stories about a king or a landowner or a businessman going away and leaving out someone else in charge when he's gone. When the man returns, he expects to find things in good order. Now, kids. When your parents leave and they put someone else in charge, are your parents still in charge? Yes, they are. Will they be happy if the place is torn up in a mess when they get back? No, they will not. Are you confident that they will get back? Yes, you are. <clears throat> Will they be happy if you're all squabbling and fighting when they return? No, they will not. This is how it is with our King Jesus. He's not physically present, but He will return. And He expects us to obey His Word, His commands to us. We cannot at present see Jesus our King, but one day we will. And this is the lesson, this is a lesson in that there is a lesson in that for us at Christmas time. The great truths of Christmas, this Christmas season, right? The, the big truths of Christmas are not things that you can see and touch, things like love and peace and joy. It talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So this Christmas, presents and food, those things are important. We gather together, we eat delicious meals, we exchange presents. Those are important. But it's not the whole story. It's very easy for us to concentrate on what we can see and to forget about the things that we can't see. <clears throat> but Christmas works in two directions. We remember the birth of our King, Jesus, so many years ago in Bethlehem, but we also look forward in anticipation for the hope of his return. We must always remember at Christmas time that our King is coming back to make all things right. And that is a a truth filled with great joy. Great joy. Now, I'd like to end this morning with two practical applications. Two exhortations about what it means to honor and trust Jesus as our King. First, our first allegiance is not to our family or to our nation, but to Jesus. Of course, it's very important for us to obey our parents and our rulers. It's a good thing to be patriotic. God has commanded us to love those that rule over us. When we stand before our King, we will give an accounting for how we behave toward those in authority over us. So all those things are important. But at the end of all things, we will answer ultimately to Him. To King Jesus. All of us. Everyone sitting in this room today will stand before King Jesus. Are you keeping your King in mind in everything that you do? Are you serving Him, kids, with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you eager to please Him? Second, Jesus has commanded you and me to build His church. This is also one of those paradoxes that I struggle with, but I think is worth thinking about and chewing on. Jesus could have established His rule by force in the blink of an eye. He could have done that. Instead, He chose to work through sinful people like you and like me to establish His kingdom on earth. Now, why did He do that? Well, it's a, it's mysterious, and of course, I don't know the full answer to the question, but I believe that Jesus came in the flesh to show us how. He came near for this very reason. Hebrews five says that although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. This is one of the amazing things that Jesus. Uh, one of the amazing ways that Jesus demonstrated that he is with us. He was willing to endure everything it meant to be human, including the worst kinds of suffering. And we learn in the same way. God commands us to do things that are hard. It's hard to love your brother, right? It's hard to obey and honor your parents. But it's how we grow in love. It's how we become what God made us to be. Our King is one of us and He has commanded us to carry out His mission and He has shown us the way. Now, kids, this is not a mission for adults only. This is your mission. This is, in fact, so important that you can't just leave it to the adults. Okay? The Bible says, Pastor Jody prayed about this, It says that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal to the world through us. Now, what does it mean to make an appeal? It's that you say, please come, please join us. We are under orders from our King to tell the world that the God who made everything wants to be friends with them, wants to love them. These are His orders to us. So kids, I want you to think about something. Are you are you still with me? You listening? I'm almost done. Pay attention. Tomorrow you're gonna celebrate Christmas, right? Likely there's gonna be things like presents and yummy food. I want you kids to keep something in mind. If you receive a Christmas gift of any kind tomorrow, I want you to think of it like your marching orders from your king. It's your mission. You've been handed your mission. Now, this is not a TV show like Mission Impossible. This is not a mission for the CIA or the Navy SEALs or the United States Marines. This mission is too important to give to those groups of people. This is far too important for them. If someone, kids, shows love to you by giving you a gift or being kind to you, they are reminding you of what your king has done for you. And now you are under orders from your King to show love to others. We love because He first loved us. So if you're willing to accept a gift tomorrow, and I bet you are, you need to be willing, I want you to be willing to accept your mission to show love to others. Okay? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for Your love for For us. And we pray, Father, that You would fill our hearts with that love and that we would be eager to share it with others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.